0: H-U-L-L-L-C-I-T-Y. H-U-L-L-L-C-I-T-Y.
1: H-U-L-L-L-C-I-T-Y. That's all Hello and welcome to another edition of the Tigers Down Under. I'm your host as always, Alex, and with me I have Dan. How are you, Dan?
0: Uh, yeah, look, um, I'm, I'm pretty good uh i think the last time or i i was on just after the last international break and uh heading into the game after and i was wildly optimistic about how we were going to go maybe not as much again this time but um i think we we've ended we've ended that run or like went into the international break on on a pretty positive note again so yeah, we've we
1: made a habit of it. We kind of – we get the we get the win, we get the momentum going, and then we go on the international break for two weeks and lose all of that positive energy. So, um, yeah, done it again. It was Middlesbrough last time. Barnsley this time, 2-0 win again. Um, uh, good to see. Good good to get the win. Um, uh, we, we had the two changes from the previous game. We had Baxter starting a goal and um, – uh, Bernard coming in at centre-back for Jones. I guess the more noteworthy of those was obviously Baxter starting in goal. And, I mean, it was interesting to see all the reaction on social media before the game had even started about dropping Ingram, who was in a lot of eyes, including probably our own um, player of the season so far. So a really interesting change to make, but one that I'd say more 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 than paid off, really.
0: Yeah, look, I was one of many that was definitely surprised um, to see... Backs his name on the in the starting eleven before the game, but I think you're right. I mean, they Grant McCann came out and said like that. Sometimes you know, just a different voice, you know, is what was needed, and he thought that um, that Ingram just needed, I guess, a a break from the from being in the firing line, um, you know, and.
1: If only there was Whether, a two-week break just after the game, that would have provided him with a break. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah,
0: but like I think um, it certainly seemed to work. Um, I think it Baxter. It looked it, he grew into the game. I think at first he looked like he looked pretty nervy in the opening few. You know, there's a few f- shots or things that he faced in his first few moments, and he had one really wild moment in the second half. Um, but overall, was really was really solid and commanded his area really well. Nice distribution. Um, you know, obviously we've got the clean sheet to go with with the victory. So I think um, it would be hard to argue against essentially that change. I think my only thing was I think I was talking you, we were talking about just before. I feel like there's this uh, there's something similar happened in the last championship. Now I'm not I have no confirmation of this. I couldn't. I didn't have time to, to do all the research, but I have this weird feeling that there was in that really crap runner games we had at the end of our last championship season. It was like long, 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 long. And it might've been just like maybe after the, the Wigan game or whatever. And then it was like Ingram for a game. And then it was back to long to finish off, but I might be wrong. I just have this weird feeling that something similar has happened um, before.
1: Yeah, I was just going to look it up because that was the exact game that I was thinking it happened after. I think he, um, he took uh, Long out of goal after the Wigan game uh, and brought Ingram in, and then I have a feeling he brought Long back in. I'm just having a look at that now while we're talking because the game after Wigan was a game against Luton. Um, it's going to take a while to load on me, isn't it? Yeah. Um, let's have a look. So yeah, anyway. he did put yeah. So he put Ingram in goal against Luton, and then um, I assume back back for that Cardiff game, which was the last game of the season. I think Ingram. I, I think Long was back in goal for that one. I'll just have a look. Because um, I think you're right. I think it, it does. It does remind me of that. It's interesting as well, though, because obviously the the eight 0 loss to Wigan. It's more of a um, motivating factor to change the keeper. Mm. Um, In that situation, yeah, Long was back in goal for that Cardiff game. So you you got it spot on that that was the the time it happened. But in that case, you can kind of understand that with the 8-0 loss to Wigan. With Mm. this case, it wasn't as if we just lost a game by a significant margin. And I think actually, I think it was Brad when we were on last time saying, we've actually got a really decent um, defensive record this season. I think um, looking at the table where something like... um, equal on goals against with, I think, QPR or Luton um, up in the top six. So, um, like, yeah, QPR have conceded 24 goals. We've conceded 22 goals. So, actually, we're, we're, we're actually better than QPR who are sitting in sixth. So, um, a bit of an odd one in that sense. But, um, as you said, I mean, I think it, it paid off in the, in the sense that Baxter had a, a pretty impressive display. As you said, I thought his distribution first and foremost. I mean, I was trying to think what... What did Baxter necessarily do that I thought was better than what Ingram does? And I think it was really just the distribution, and and it's not even that much to split them um, in that sense. But I just I, I do think Baxter commanded his his box really well, and he was spraying the ball out um, for for our players even late on in the game when we were two 0 up to try and get a third goal, or, or you know, um, to, to kind of kick start some extra counter attacks. Um, one one thing I sort of noticed, which. I don't know if it's a comment on Baxter or just Barnsley's poor shooting ability, but it just seemed like there was a lot of shots that Baxter was just really comfortable facing. Like they were hit straight at him and he was able to sort of just like, mm. you know, sometimes keepers will sort of deflect the ball down into the ground or something like that to, to sort of take the sting out of the ball. Or He just, he felt very comfortable facing those shots. There weren't many shots that I saw him sort of flap at and, um, and, you know, sort of struggle to face. So again, Could be more of a comment on Barnsley's
0: ability to shoot, but um, I I certainly noticed that. Yeah, look, I think um, Barnsley's so far probably the least impressive team we have faced, and I mean, I was worried that we were going to play to their level, because we seem to have this bit of a... Uh, habit of like, and and it's evident by most of the games this season being decided by you know a, a one one goal or and like of of matching or like playing to the level of the opponent. So when we play really good good sides, we've played you know better football but been unable to score, and then we play crap teams and we play crap and lose. And I was worried that that was going to happen um, for a little while, but. That started to turn on me. Pretty, it was probably only fifteen or twenty minutes in, and we seemed to be in that wave after wave. But it didn't seem like when they were countering on when they were coming back at us that they were doing anything particularly damaging. And so it was at that point that I started to go, you know what? If we can just if we can get a goal, I think we'll be all right. And then, mm. um, old Georgie boy came to the rescue um yep. just by and just by doing what he does, just putting himself about getting and always like following up on those shots and those sorts of things to, to tap in that um, essentially an open goal. It, it, it felt like
1: last season all over again, really. And it's, it's what we've been crying out for all season that we've just wanted to see what Honeyman can do this season after, after the season he had last year. And, and like you say, I mean, it was just him doing what he does best and it was running into the area and taking advantage of a loose ball. And um, was fantastic to see. I mean, We've sort of seen glimpses of it the last few games, but he, he's really getting up to his best now in the side, which is awesome, and it's going to be a huge boost for us over the next month, um, and we've got some pretty important fixtures. Um, but, no, you're right. I mean, I think it was Graves' header wide, which I think it was you, yourself sort of said, you know, whenever you see Graves going up for a ball, you just know it's it's going to go wide. But in fairness to him, I mean, I think it was when when, when he had that header wide and I I've messaged you saying, you know, oh, we're actually looking pretty good. Because um, like you, you sort of have that nervy first 10, 15 minutes of thinking, um, are we up for this? Is it going to be like the Derby and Peterborough games where we sort of sink to their level and then get overrun? Um, had a few chances early. I think I think I made a note. So Devante Cole had a free header essentially as their striker. Um, had a free, free header at goal. Um, I think it was pretty early in the match where... In fairness, probably a better side, a better striker puts that away and and it sort of showed that we haven't really learnt from our set-piece issues, I suppose. But outside of that, not a whole lot that challenged, um, challenged Baxter in goal. And, and then, yeah, we sort of really started to turn the screw on them, um, which was great to see. And then, as you say, get yeah, Georgie boy popping up and, and getting the goal to really give us a bit of momentum before half-time and then KLP with the sealer in the second half.
0: Yeah. Um, and I think it was nice, I think we talked about, back distribution, but also I think um, Bernard was one of his probably best games with a lot of nice um, raking balls across field that were actually finding the bit of space and, and with the right weight and everything on them that was allowing, particularly that second half, you know, KLP and others to, to run in, run on and get in behind. Um, so he was really impressive in that regard as well. I guess the only downside of that was obviously uh Coyle's mm. injury, which has turned out to be quite serious for something that didn't. And I guess that's the thing with these sorts of injuries; they never. It's not often from a, a big collision or whatever. It always seems some innocuous thing that turns out yeah um, to be quite serious. But he's out for quite a while now. We won't probably see him until twenty twenty two.
1: Three was it three months? I guess something just about. Like they saying yeah. yeah. Um, which uh, you never. Yeah, I mean. In a way, it's going to be really interesting now for Emmanuel. He'll he'll get a place in the side to really fight for. And I think my biggest worry for him was that we were going to get to the January window and presumably, potentially <clears throat> have a new manager at that point where we wouldn't really see the best of him and he'd be he'd be really, well, you know, he'd, he'd leave for a different club or that sort of thing. So um, we're, we're, you know, obviously a, a terrible injury for Coyle and hoping that he can get back to full fitness as soon as possible. But... The silver lining, if you can consider it one, is that we do get to see Emmanuel get a real chance in the championship now. And you know, if if it doesn't work out, if he's not, if he doesn't manage to step up to the level required, then we've at least gotten a chance to see what he can do. And he's had a real, real chance to to prove himself in the side.
0: Yeah, I guess that's the the nature of football. Is that uh, what is conceivably unlucky or unfortunate for one is always an opportunity for someone else. Um, and we've seen. Any, any number of players who have taken those opportunities with both hands and, and run on with it. So, um, I mean, like the, the early signs that we've seen from Emmanuel in the championship this season look like he'll he's he's up for it. Um, his couple of performances have been, you know, uh, acceptable or better. Um, yeah. So, I am absolutely also really looking forward to seeing how he goes. Um, you know, with an extended run of games. Um, you know, in that side. So that is, he's certainly one to be to be watching over the next uh, couple of months, I think.
1: Yeah, certainly. And then off the bench, we also had uh, Smith and Longman coming on, um, putting in pretty impressive displays. I thought in particular, Longman looked really sharp. Um, really unlucky not to get a goal towards the end of the game as well, hitting his, his shot just against the bottom of the post. Um, it sort of raises the question, I guess Wilkes has been a bit disappointing over the last month. I mean, I mean, arguably you could say all season. I think he, he he's a bit unlucky. He's had a few injuries as well, which haven't helped. But um Longman's really sort of raising his hand to to get a chance mm-hmm. to start the game against Birmingham this weekend.
0: Yeah, I think um he was he was really impressive coming off the bench. He was it reminded me of when he came on might have been one of the, the first Spencer couple of game? games. Maybe he came on late in one of those early games and he really was trying to make things happen and really trying to push forward and, and take players on and, and, and do things. Um, and then I thought, oh, you know, he he's he's taken that step. And then I think, was he one that got... What he, he just I think he, he had... Pe- he, well, did, he, yeah, did he get COVID I was getting, or was I, his an injury?
1: I can't remember. To be fair, I always get him and Williams mixed up. I think it might have been Williams who had COVID and then I think it was Longman who had, had an injury, yeah.
0: Yeah, oh, yeah. So, but anyway, so, and he sort of... Has been on the periphery for quite a while, but now that he's obviously obviously worked his way back to full fitness, and and you know now he's and trying to prove prove his worth to earn, earn or force his way into that starting eleven. I think I'd be absolutely willing to willing to give him a go against Birmingham, um, let him start, see how he goes, um, see whether he can maintain that you know, level of impact over a greater greater stretch. Um, yeah. But, I mean, but he's offering something plenty. different to Wilkes, I think, at the minute, and that might be just what we need.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I, I was just going to say, I mean, there's plenty of players who do look good off the bench in those sort of small patches, especially coming on against people who are more tired because they've played the full game. So as you say, um, it'd be interesting to see how he goes from the start of games. It's a bit of a different dynamic in that sort of position. So um, certainly interesting to see if he gets that chance. Um, okay, well, before we move on, um, I will grab your 3-2-1 votes for this game and then I'll, I'll offer up my own, which I think, having discussed this before the podcast, I, I think could be quite similar.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, look, we I think we sort of already gave an indication in our um, discussion earlier about who might be getting the three points, um, but I was really impressed um, with George Honeyman um, in that game against Barnsley. Um, his typical all-action display, involved in everything, cre- responsible for creating a lot of our chances in the final third, um, and involved in some really nice play. So I thought, and obviously getting that goal that that set us off on our way to victory. Um, with and and just by like the simple thing of just following in on those for those rebounds because you never know when they're going to pop out. So three points for Honeyman. Um, two points to Ken Lewis Potter for another reasonably impressive display, capped off with a goal. I think he's involved in like fifty percent of our goals this season. With yeah, would surprise like me. Like four goals and three assists, or whatever it is. Um, it's crazy, um, but he's um, continuing to impress. Maybe not like shining as as brightly as. As Bowen began to in, because uh, he seemed to go pr- from nothing to bo- burning very brightly very quickly. But um, KLP maybe a bit more of a slow burn, but still just gradually getting there and improving. So I'll,
1: I'll say in his defence, I reckon he's he's got a higher contribution to our goal total than Bowen <laughs> did. I think Bowen had the had the f- f- fortuitous nature of being in a side that was scoring a lot of goals, so he was wow, able to is. chip in. Yeah.
0: That is true. Um, but uh, obviously, yeah, I th- think he's um, he is progressing at a very nice rate, um, which is good signs for us. And one last point will go to Baxter for you know a debut um, that eventually looked assured. Again, apart from that one moment where he charged out to the edge of the box to try and make a tackle that he didn't really need to make. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Apart from that, but nice distribution and a clean sheet. Um, I'll give Nathan Baxter the one.
1: Yeah, and and look, I'll go the same through as you. I thought Honeyman was terrific, as you said. Great to see. I mean, it was it was like it was last season again. He was just running the show. He was everywhere. He got the neat little assist for KLP's goal as well as the goal for himself. Could have had a second goal. Um, I think when KLP played the ball across him, he just got the ball caught up in his feet um, but had a good opportunity there as well. And was just, just everywhere. I was really worried. I think it was pretty early in the game. It might have been the first ten or so minutes when he took a pretty cynical yellow card just to just to kill off a Barnsley attack. I thought, oh, you know, early yellow card is a bit of a worry there. He's known for a bit of a cynical tackle late in games to chew up a bit of time. Um, so I was a bit worried there about how his game was gonna go, how he was gonna be impacted by the yellow, but didn't seem to impact him at all, which was uh, which was great to see. And and yeah, KLP with the goal. Uh, had a few chances for a few assists as well. He, he had the ball that he played across for Longman who hit the post. So could have walked away with a goal and an assist as well. So great display, looked really dangerous, um, fed the ball to, to Smallwood on a couple of occasions for some shots as well. So looking dangerous and looking like supplying teammates as well, which is good. And, and yeah, Baxter, I mean, um, you know, Ingram's probably leading our player of the season votes at the moment, but Baxter – creeping in and getting a vote on debut. So maybe it's just, we just have a thing for for the goalkeepers this season because he um he certainly had a terrific display as well. So that was the three, two, one from both of us, really. Um, all right. Well, we'll move on then. And we, we do normally talk about um, off-field news at this part of the podcast. And um, I suppose you could say over the last two weeks, there's been a little bit of off-field news, um, different sorts of pieces of information being reported. And um, we've, we've sort of, Done the takeover to death, I suppose, as far as you can do without it actually being official. But I will say it is—it is, it is nice to have seen um, a, an interview with ajun in the whole Daily Mail, so giving an exclusive to the reporter Baz Cooper there, which was, you know, as much as you hear, you know, you get your reports from Turkey or you get your your messages on Twitter or anything like that, which can be reasonably reliable, but they're not necessarily official, so you don't have anything to really um, confirm the news. It is good to get concrete, solid, you know, words from the horse's mouth sort of interviews with Ajun himself Mm -hmm. saying the takeover is going to be essentially done in the next two to three weeks, saying that everything's pretty much ticked off. It's basically just with the EFL to do the fit and proper test that, you know, the alums are are sort of helping out at at every stage. Um, It was interesting. I I think that in that, um, in that interview, he said he was going to be in Hull in the next two to three weeks. And then just overnight last night we got the pictures of him at the k at the mkm i should say with both ehab and sm um sort of it was funny actually i saw he he was at the mkm to to sort of finalize some negotiations with them he went to the uh tiger leisure store and clearly picked up a few shirts to wear and then he apparently jetted off to watch turkey play montenegro i think it was to cheer them on to see if they'd make it to the uh to the world cup so I mean, it all sort of just, it it just fits together to say that, you know, he's clearly quite a passionate football supporter himself, um, really loves the game, which is important to see, and it all sounds pretty positive at this stage.
0: Yeah. um, I don't don't, don't really know what to add. Um, It does, I guess. Yeah, it's without, yeah, without rehashing everything we sort of said already about the takeover, it is nice to see, um, you know, I guess the almost consistent semi-consistent sort of progress reports and updates um it's nice to know or pretend like i'm in the loop somewhat um but yeah i think uh if 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 it all goes through um within the next few weeks you know it might might end up being a nice christmas present for us
1: definitely yeah so uh, just before we move on i think we, we saw that the um southern supporters group tweeted out a list of I mean, some people could phrase it as demands. I don't think it was necessarily demands. It was sort of suggestions of, look, if, you know, easy wins, things that you can do when you take over the club to sort of really get the supporters on board from day one. And so I thought I'd ask you as well, uh, is there anything that comes to mind from you top of your list or or sort of, you know, front of mind that an easy win that you'd love to see the new owners sort of do when they take over the club, whether it's any sort of um, um, encouragement for filling up the stadium for the first game, whether it's, I don't know, sort of, you know, discounts on the shirts. It's something, something as simple as that or, or or something more significant. I don't know.
0: Um, look, probably absolutely something to get that the MKM absolutely rocking the first game that they have it. So whether that is, you know, half-price tickets or free to under-12s or whatever that looks like, but absolutely something to try and get the community back in, get that stadium full, um, so that we can have you know twenty thousand you know Tigers fans screaming screaming us on. I think that's sort of like that's got to be the the priority is to get the fans back in and engaged um, with the club and, and want to be there. On a like more uh, long term thing, I think one of the big issues was about around the concessions tickets and stuff like that and what the um, Alums did with that. So perhaps. Revisiting that and going back to perhaps go or going back to or revising the model of what that looks like now, because um, I distinctly remember a lot of people being very upset with the way that got changed, and they were you know essentially saying it wasn't broke, why did you fix yeah. it or like why did you t- tamper with it? So um, maybe something like that would be a good thing to get um, uh, you know some some goodwill from from the supporters.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, and it's, I'm sort of pinching one of the ones that the um, Southern supporters were, were mentioning in their tweets, but I think a really good idea I hadn't even considered really would be inviting Steve Bruce back as a guest of honor for maybe not the first game back, but, you know, maybe a game around Christmas or something like that, just as a farewell, just to say, you know, a huge, a huge, yeah. he had a huge pl- place in our history as a club and, and what we achieved over the last decade. And he basically, left out the back door really by sort of um, resigning before the season began in that Premier League season so the supporters didn't really get a chance to farewell him and you know granted we've played his side since then in in, you know his Villa side um, in particular I think Um, but just having him back as an honoured guest he can do a lap of honour or something like that maybe with Alex Bruce as well um, just to to let everyone sort of give him a a final send-off and you know especially in the context of how his time at Newcastle ended up as well um, I thought that that seemed like a pretty nice yeah. touch to do as well. Um, whether whether Ajun would be sort of aware or, or open to that sort of thing, given he didn't really have anything to do with Bruce, um, I think that would still be a pretty nice gesture as well. Um, yeah, I mean, sort of on that topic, not really on that topic. I mean, it's um, it's it's our, our flashback feature of the week, and I had, a, I had written all of these in advance of the season, and I did think that this one... Potentially was was uh, relevant for this week and maybe not in the best of taste, but um, <laughs> we'll see how we go with this one. But it is our flashback feature of the week. And uh, the question that I have for you, Dan, is can you name our last three permanent managers who were sacked mid-season? So that's city managers. C- city or- managers sacked mid-season. So, so not managers who sort of, you know, left on their own, of their own accord.
0: Yeah. Sacked midseason. Uh you I'd be thinking Slotsky. Did I don't even remember whether he was sacked or whether he just left, but he left mid season and then Adkins came in. <laughs> um
1: So 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 the second one so the so so Slutsky before that straight. would
0: be Phelan. Yep. Um The third one's a while ago so probably is it before so, my time it is before <laughs> your time yeah but, um, it,
1: but it it's one that you you'd know the name of i would think uh phil brown yeah <laughs> spot on yeah so so it's it's pretty incredible actually so we've had Slutsky, uh who was sacked for adkins as you said um was was the most recent and then Phelan um in the premier league sacked for for marco silva but then it's all the way back to phil brown who was who was relieved of his duties in uh, i mean, I mean I'm being technical, I suppose, on, on the emphasis on mid-season because I think he was actually just placed on gardening leave until the end of the season. So he was technically still at the club, but, uh, yeah, relieved of his duties after the Arsenal loss in that relegation season. And uh, and the footballing consultant, I think, was his official title, was Ian Dowie, came in for the rest for the last nine games and, and did an absolutely awful job. But, yeah, I mean, like in between, you've got Nigel Pearson who left to go back to Leicester um, of his own accord. Barby was sacked after the season finished, so that's why I sort of qualified mid-season. Bruce then, of course, resigned on his own. Adkins left at the end of the season. So um, in a way, it's kind of, I'd say it's quite rare in football clubs yeah. in this in this day and age to not have more managers who've, who've been sacked mid-season that we've actually been, I mean, the word loyal is probably the wrong word to use considering the treatment of Bruce, but um, reasonably, reasonably, happy to back our managers for the full season and then any changes are made during the off season um be reasonably be rare i mean you look at nottingham forest have had more managers in the last 10 years than we've probably had since the turn of the millennium
0: <laughs> yeah so but, yeah. i mean in... sorry sorry um oh interesting... yeah no i was just, i was gonna oh sorry no there no, you go <laughs> interesting in like a that to look at the way that managers are played, especially like when you consider us as we, while we've had successful times, you probably wouldn't necessarily call us a successful club. Mm. And normally it's those like, you know, you see those, the top, you know, Premier League clubs or whatever, the really successful clubs who are the ones who are maintaining those managerial records or, or you know, doing things the right way, whatever that means. But um, especially in the championship, you see lots and lots of like, of that you know coaching merry-go-round or the managerial merry-go-round and we seem to um somehow stay out of it a lot of the time which is which is kind of nice um sometimes you you know i mean we're talking about it recently being tempted to to jump onto that merry-go-round um if new owners came in but I, you know perhaps sometimes you go that bringing someone in new in in the middle of the season means then they've got a try and work with essentially a team that isn't theirs for half a season <laughs> before they get a chance to bring in any significant amount of players. They might be able to bring in one or two additions in January, but not really enough to to, to mould the team the way that they would want to do it. So there's sort of, I guess, there's pros and cons to how, you know, mid-seasons or end-of-seasons, but it is in, it's interesting that we have had so, so few in, in such a broad stretch of time.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, Phil Brown would have been, I think from memory it would have been March of 2010 um, because I think it was just after I got over to England. Um, So that's what, 11, 11, almost 12 years now, to have only three is pretty remarkable. Um, And and you're right. I mean, the biggest example is clearly sticking with Bruce in that 14, 15 season when we got relegated, and that's quite rare to have a manager sort of Mm. from the start of the season all the way through and oversee a relegation and not be sacked. And then, in fact, then get the club promoted the following season. Um, I mean, Daniel Fark is probably the other example I can think of in recent times who's been a clear example of that at, at Norwich. Um, but yeah, increasingly rare to not even try to make that change to, to see if, if a change manager could keep the club up, um, which we, we, of course, did with Phelan two seasons later. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, you look, look at Adkins when he came in for, Sil- for Slutsky. Um, only managing to sign, I think, two players in that January with I think it was Elphick and Wilson came in that that January. And in a way, I feel like we just kind of struck gold with Wilson and that really turned out to be quite a fortuitous signing. But, um, yeah, very interesting. So, I mean, I, I did feel sort of hesitant to to use that as the question this week because I think there's, a, there's so much talk around Grant McCann at the moment. Um, some of it I feel is a little bit distasteful just because he is still our manager Having all of this sort of social media gossip and speculation about him can't be great. I mean, I don't know how much of it he sees. Can't be great, um, and does seem just that sort of thing where you, you you look at Steve Bruce, perfect example at Newcastle. Even after the takeover was completed, and and sort of the daily or hourly articles from Sky Sports about who was going to be the new manager at Newcastle while he was still in charge was was not was not great to see. Um, so I I am hoping in a way that. Grant actually does get a chance under the new regime and actually does get a chance to prove himself, as I think um, George Boyd in an article recently sort of said similar, that, you know, you never know what's going to happen under a new regime, new spirit, new atmosphere around the club. Maybe the whole speculation around him being forced to play four-three-three by the Alums is true. And maybe he will show this new sort of tactical innovation when he's sort of set free from that sort of structure. You never know. Um, so I think the worst thing like you know worst case we give him a couple of games um nothing really improves and then you've at least got a sort of a justification or a, a reason to make the change
0: yeah look um i sort of i'm, I'm with you with all this it's it's a bit like we've talked about getting replacing Graham McCann on here but i think mostly it's been just about like this you know based on a string of poor results not just like that this you know oh there's someone new coming in so we may as well just get a new manager because we're sick of this guy um and you're absolutely right like we've w- there's been heaps of speculation about what's been said behind closed doors to him and whether he's operating under this like this is the football philosophy of philosophy of the club and if you you know it's that's that's how you're going to play if you want to get paid so Um, And to be honest, it wouldn't surprise me if that was something that was in place there at the minute.
1: Um, I'd I'd love it if he comes out against Birmingham and and plays a 3-5-2 because he's just like, well, you're not going to be in charge for much longer. You can't get rid of me. I'm just going to do what I want.
0: Imagine (laughs) if he did that, got sacked, then comes (laughs) in and hires him back. (laughs) Um, No. (laughs) Oh, that was a – anyway. Um, So,
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. look, it'll it'll, it'll 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 certainly be interesting to see, and and I think that's probably a good segue to, to talk about that Birmingham game, which is coming up this weekend. Um, Lee Boyer in charge there, who we're sort of pretty familiar with um, from his time at Charlton last season. Uh, not in amazing form; they've won, I think, three of their last five, which isn't too bad. But um, I think they lost last time out to Reading, who were not in great form themselves. So um certainly be an interesting game in that sense and and i think we sort of i think it was brad and myself talked last time about the games that we've got coming up this month whilst um whilst i wouldn't sort of say we should be going undefeated in december or anything ridiculous like that they're all pretty reasonable games they're all pretty gettable games i mean we've got games against teams like uh, cardiff and um i was just swinging at it before i mean there's there's cardiff and millwall reading Bristol city they're all in pretty average form um there's a real opportunity this month to really start to to string a few results together and I know we, we probably said similar last month after that Middlesbrough game um, and it's easy to feel a lot more optimistic after a win and then we'll probably lose our next three games and be back to thinking where can we scrape points from but starting with birmingham it's a, it's a pretty reasonable run of games and um, as good a fixture as any to really target for a win.
0: yeah look I think um, as I sort of topped the podcast with them not as uh, Full of optimism as I was, you know, last international break because, you know, um, I don't want to get burned again, so to speak. But um, I think I, I kind of think that the performance against Barnsley was was better than the performance against Borough overall. Like I thought, Mm. you know, when you look at the stats and you go nineteen shots, the four on target is still a concern for me. You know that of of our shots we're hitting the target at what's that about a twenty percent yeah about 20%, conversion, which is percent? yeah yeah which is not great um so if we could improve that a little bit um, then I'd I'd be feeling more confident but um I think look it's it'll be a good game. Um I think if we I'd be going pretty close to the same eleven. I think we talked about Longman. Maybe give give him a, bring him in to start. Um, but I, you know, and obviously Manuel's going to have to, then, yeah, have to Coyle. start because uh, I don't think they'll let Coil go out on the moon boot and <laughs> crutches. Um, but apart, from, I think I, w- I wouldn't make too many changes. I think um, just those couple leave. I think just leave Baxter. Give him a. As much as it's unfortunate for Ingram but like I it's sort of like How can you drop someone after a clean sheet well, and a thing. win? That's the thing we we talked about when we won previously and we went oh well we we've, we've played the 352 and we've won surely we're not going to go back and yeah. we reverted and the results disappeared again. We've managed to do it play in the 433, get got the win. Let's not undo those changes just because like at the end of the day Ingram's a big boy. He's gonna. He's gonna. He's been around the traps. He understands that this is how football is, um, and it'll just be on him to to keep himself ready for you know when his opportunity comes again. Which, you know, could be one week. It could be two weeks. It could be two months. You know, it might just be again. You know, winning his place back in preseason for next year or next season. But. That is just sort of the way the cookie crumbles in professional football. Yeah,
1: you look at Emmanuel getting the first few months last season of being tremendous and then losing his players to Coyle and just having to wait patiently for his turn again.
0: Yeah. So um, so I think, yeah, I think they're the only couple of changes. I'm really looking forward to it. It should be a good game. Um, it'd be really nice if we could cont- build on that momentum this time and actually turn three points into even a draw I'd say would be would be okay it's it's points on the board it's it's progress moving forward um it's better than going win loss 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 loss, loss. so yeah <laughs> um, yeah I'd probably take anything um any points would be good I think honestly um in terms of prediction I'll you know i I'm gonna tip a one all I was just,
1: you know what? I was going to say because I, I, I agree. I wouldn't mind a draw. I think a draw is a, a perfectly fine result. And I said, look, one-one would be a great result because it means we've scored a goal and we haven't conceded too many either. So, um, I'd be quite happy with the one-one as well. Um, before we go though, there was the the other interesting aspect in this game is, of course, that Riley McGree has actually been in reasonable scoring for them lately. I think he's got two in his last three or four games. I think for them. Um, of course, we know quite well from his time in Australia. Um, I think he's he's essentially he's on loan from a new MLS outfit in Charlotte FC who start next season. So he's with them for a little while longer. Um, it would be certainly interesting to see him at, at championship level. I mean, we, we sort of had this experience last season with, um, the name's going out of my head now, but the, uh, the I think it was the Jets player who was on loan at Shrewsbury. Um, oh, camp- Miller. Milo, that's it. Yeah. So we sort of had that experience where, you know, you get a player who's been quite recently in the A-League coming up against City to sort of see how they stack up. But that'll be certainly interesting and hopefully he he gets a start for them.
0: Yeah, look, I think from all reports, he's been going um, pretty good for them. Um, He seems to pop up in the old, like, uh, when I'm looking up how Aussie soccer players or football players are going or whatever, he seems to, his name gets popped up every now and then as having contributed in some meaningful way to Birmingham's um, progress. So, I mean, it's good for him and it's good for us to see, or like as Australians, to see, actually see some of our players going overseas and trying to make it work. Because I think, you know, the A-League becomes a bit of a um, easy easy footballing circle for them where they can't make it overseas. So they just come home. It's cruisy. They can yeah. always not make as much money, but... They're still getting paid to play football so why yeah. Or not yeah um, you see players whereas, will
1: go off overseas for a season or two and then i'll come back and yeah it
0: was you know once upon a time you know like the and keel and kale and all those um our, our golden generation just chuffed off when they were 16 and figured out how to make it work over there pretty much which i just
1: find remarkable i mean we're sort of going on a tangent but i find remarkable (laughs) when you think that like before we had the a-league when we had a less professional setup in australia we actually had more successful uh, top-line players playing in europe whereas you would think logically that the more sophisticated our our sort of setup in australia becomes there should actually be more players who are able to then make that jump overseas and we did see it 10 years ago with guys like yet and ryan going from Australian teams, your club, Central Coast, over to essentially making it to the Premier League, um, which seems to have sort of... And, you know, even more recently with Aaron Moy going across to Huddersfield, um, one player who, who who looked like he was going to make that step up from the Championship to the Premier League, granted not coming from the A-League, was Harry Sutar and unfortunately suffered an ACL whilst on duty with Australia and hopefully gets back before too long. But other than that, there's not a whole lot of players... And, you know, McGree's sort of making a stab at it now, but there's not a whole lot of players making that jump.
0: No, we've got a couple of young guys who are in Premier League clubs already. Mm. Um uh, yeah, forget the, the, the guy at Southampton, I think. There's uh is it Jay Rich Bagaloo or something is like one of them. And then there's another one um at is it there's someone at Fulham, or... isn't there? Don't know. There's, there's, there's a couple. There's of... a young,
1: yeah, there's a young Aussie striker at Fulham from memory. Um, I think I remember a, seeing him play last season. Is
0: it like Caleb Watts or something? Yeah, that's the one
1: at, at Southampton.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So there's a couple of. That's what I was thinking of. of. Yeah. Um. Who are doing a bit of stuff? I think they played for us in the Olympics, maybe. Um, yeah. But.
1: And um, oh, I forget the name of the, the guy. Melbourne City talking about the Ollie Ruse. I mean, there was the guy playing for the um, Ollie Ruse from Melbourne City. He looks an absolute prospect. So hopefully he can sort of follow on the, uh, in the footsteps of Moy and um, and really make a name for himself overseas in a few years. But we're sort of sort of going off on a tangent here about Aussie players. Yeah. <laughs> but no, look, it, it'll be good to see McGree playing against us. Hopefully um, um, in the game. I mean, I, he's sort of been. He's been in and out of the side a bit, but I think now that he's scored a couple of goals, he's sort of settled into that lineup. And and yeah, look, I'd certainly take a one-one draw at this stage, um, coming out of the international break, getting more points on the board and really keeping the momentum going.
0: Absolutely. Um, we'll just hope that Elder comes out on top of McGree.
1: Absolutely, and then look we'll be back next uh, this time next week on Wednesday to preview the games against Cardiff and Millwall coming up later in the week, which will also be pretty big games um, and a good chance to get more points on the board as well. So thank you for joining me this time, Dan. Not a problem anytime. No problem, and thank you everyone for listening in. Until next time, come on City. You've been listening to the official Hull City Australia podcast, The Tigers Down Under. For more discussion, join us on Facebook at the Hull City AFC Australia Facebook group or follow us on Twitter at Hull City AFC Hots. The music was created by Amber Black. All the city's on fire.
0: We're the burning desire. Tigers are roaring, and destiny's calling, because now is the time. Yeah, the city's on
1: fire. Going higher and higher
0: There's no turning back Cause you're out